suicide. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Well, we have a full show today. Uh, always excited for this time of year. It's my second spring now hosting the show, or at least getting ready for spring. So we're getting into a busy time of year, and we will get back to your calls. But yeah, so my friend Stacia Kelly with the Georgia Forestry Commission, uh, my thanks to her. I'm always able to just call her and be like, hey, I have an idea for the show. I want to work through it with you. You know, do you have any experts? Do you have any guests that could help me with that? And she did just that. She connected uh, me with Troy Clymer, Associate Chief of Forest Management with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, Miss Ashley. How are you doing this so, morning? I'm excited to have folks uh, listen to our conversation, Troy. You know, I was telling you, like, this is not an interview. It just was something that I was thinking throughout the week. Uh, I think back on March 3rd was like World Wildlife Day. And that seems yes, like such a big international effort, something beyond our comprehension. Why should we even pay attention? It's just a cute little hashtag on social media. But I wanted to kind of localize that for us and for our listeners to the show. I uh, want to really think about the bigger picture, you know, in the environment. So I think you're just the guy to do that when we're thinking about forest land in Georgia. Um, so first of all, Troy, what constitutes a forest? Like if I'm off Boulevard in East Atlanta versus, you know, the hills of the North Georgia mountains and I'm seeing trees, you know, as far as the eye could see, what do we call a forest here in our state? Well, I'd say a lot of times when we're looking at the forest, uh, we, we're looking at anything that's got trees growing in it, uh, looking at anything from a newly new forest that's, you know, less than a year old and up to you know, trees that are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. And, and Georgia is a good place for our forest. We have 24 million acres of forest land throughout the state. Holy so cow. Two thirds, yeah, so two-thirds of our landscape is in forest. From a forester perspective, you know, we look at it and you see, you know, you got your rural forest uh, with your large expanses like you were talking about. And then you also get into your local communities and uh, cities. And, and we have uh, our community forest or our urban forest. Uh, when we're looking at that uh, throughout the entire state and the impact that those trees make each day from stabilizing our soil to purifying our air and uh, keeping our water clean, you know, the difference that, that can make throughout our state is, is, is huge. When folks in the cities where there's more asphalt, there's more sidewalks, there's more buildings, when they're thinking about, you know, contributing to the overall environment, what good does planting just a tree or two here or there do for them and for the community? The biggest part for planting is just making sure you have a plan and managing your the timber resource, whether you've got a, a half acre or you've got 100 acres. So working with a consultant forester or if you're in the city working with an arborist, those two uh, are key, key ideas to help you accomplish what you're looking to accomplish on your land. And so those trees, like I said, they, they help stabilize uh, our soil as it, when it rains or when we have storm surges. Uh, they're helping to uh, mitigate the, the storm flow through throughout our landscape. They're also catching that water and slowing it down so it doesn't cause massive erosion. It's purifying our air. Uh, trees, they take in carbon dioxide and they turn it into oxygen. Uh, they also take that carbon and store it in the tree itself as mm -hmm. well as into the root systems and into the ground. So, so it has really good uh, benefits there. Uh, the forest also provides good habitat for our wildlife uh, species. So just planting 
a tree here and there, it does make a difference because if you're planting a tree and your neighbor's planting a tree and that yeah. neighbor's planting a tree, all that comes together and, and you get one good community uh, of a forest in in those urban areas. You know, and I'm afraid we might start getting some calls, you know, as folks are spending more time outdoors now as the weather improves, Troy, that, you know, oh, my gosh, I've got coyotes or even an occasional black bear here or there. Deer are always a problem that gardeners are just always going to bang their head against the wall trying to figure out how to outsmart the deer and the squirrels. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think with more coyote spottings and maybe even bears occasionally, some of that is due to construction and deforestation. Would you agree? Yes, I would say throughout time, especially up in Atlanta, as the world continues to expand and grow and, and people move out in more uh, rural areas, uh, you, you'll see that impact and you'll see more wildlife. And we don't want to see that expanse too great, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can expect to see some wildlife uh, as you move further out. And, and uh, you know, as we're in the woods every day, we enjoy seeing seeing yeah. that wildlife and uh, seeing the beauty of, of nature work. And, you know, as foresters, you know, we want to see see trees managed properly. We want to continue to grow and be able to harvest and thin and and uh, manage our timber in a in a sustainable, proper way. So that way that we're taking into account of soil, the water, the wildlife, and the timber resource and recreational opportunities uh, that that our forest provides. Growing more than 331 million seedlings annually, that's a number you gave me, that's enough to plant over half a million acres. So is that being done? What is that number exactly? That is occurring, uh, that, that, and that's in, that's in our state. Wow. So we're growing 48% more timber each year than what we're harvesting. So, so we're very sustainable, and, and being 48% more, it, it does show that there's opportunities for more markets for timber. And, uh, and for a lot of viewers that are listening, I would, I would say that you know, they, they have an impact in that uh, every day, and, and they have it through the choices that they're making from what they're purchasing. So when they go to the store and they buy a box of cereal, mm-hmm. Uh, when they go on that dot com and they and they order whatever little gadget they get, and three four days later it shows up in a nice box on their on the front porch. You know all that that's all an impact that that consumer's making each day. And so whether they realize it or not, through those choices, they give the opportunity of a landowner. It encourages that landowner to, uh, and it and it enables that landowner to be able to properly manage their property. And it encourages them to also, when they do cut trees, to plant. Another part of that is for every tree that's cut in Georgia, we're planting anywhere from three to five back to take its place. So so those are pretty key things that probably most people who don't even own uh, an acre of, of forest land don't realize that impact that they're making through that choice. And that's another part of it in Georgia that's pretty unique is is 90% of the property throughout Georgia is owned by private landowners. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's the most out of any state in in our nation. I did a celebrity gardener segment for a lot of the year last year where I tried to bring in, you know, somewhat notable, uh, famous folks and how gardening and forestry and all that impacts them. I got to tell you, one of the ones that I learned so much from was having Chuck Lavelle, who's right there kind of in middle Georgia uh, in your area, a conservationist and a tree farmer. And yeah, not to mention like keyboardist for the Rolling Stones and the Almond Brothers and so many other groups. But uh, have you had a chance to cross paths with him and kind of get to know a little bit about his efforts down there? Yes, ma'am, I have. Chuck's a great supporter for forestry. Uh, he travels all over the nation sharing, sharing the message of forestry, being able to 
go out on his property and, and meet with him and, and actually uh, walk his land wow. and seeing the great job that he's doing, just like many other landowners throughout the state are doing to manage their land, you know, and, and the impact that, that guys like him and all landowners are making every day to, to help our timber resource, uh, which affects so many things from our wildlife to our water resource, uh, to our soil and to our air. So, I mean, it's it's critical the impact that uh, that all our landowners are are making each day through the management of their properties and their timber resource and and uh, you know just being a part of it and uh, you know I'm just a small part of it and being able to to have the relationships that, that we have and and being able to talk with you and and share our stories and how that impact is throughout the state of Georgia that's very rewarding in itself and. And uh, just knowing that these landowners are making an impact every day and that I can have a small part in that, in that is, uh, is is pretty awesome. Yeah, and I'm glad, you know, I've got you on, too, kind of getting the word out and educating folks a little bit. Um, not to put you on the spot, but did you know what kind of trees is, is Chuck growing there on the property? He grows a lot of loblolly pine. Okay. Uh, he also has some longleaf pine. And then he's got a corridor down on the river, so he's got some nice hardwoods. Uh, throughout his property as well. So he, he's got a little bit of everything on, on his track okay. of land. Uh, just a very unique property. Troy, I, I think I've got it right here. I think I found the portion of the interview with Chuck Lavelle where he talks about how he and his wife, Rose Lane, came to the decision of what to do with their family land. Row cropping and cattle farming, those kind of things, seem to be way too much day-to-day for me if I wanted to follow my musical career. And we started looking into all kinds of options. We looked into peach trees, pecan trees, nursery stock. But again, they all seemed like they were going to really require full-time operation. One morning, my brother-in-law, Rose Lane's brother, said, you know, if you guys are not going to plant this 50-acre field down the way that we normally plant on a crop, you might consider just going ahead and planting uh, trees on it. And boy, a light bulb kind of went off in my head. (laughs) And the first thing I thought of, uh, Ashley, was the connection of of music and wood. You know, where does that marvelous thing that's given me a great career and so much joy come from? And of course, from the resource of wood, as do most musical instruments. Then the other aspect of it was this is long term. It's not so much day to day. It's good for the earth, uh, carbon sequestration. Uh, wildlife, et cetera, et cetera. So it really fit uh, a lot of the bills that I was looking to personally try to accomplish. The dominant tree uh, from Virginia down to East Texas throughout the eastern seaboard was longleaf pine. Uh, However, when those forests were cut and the products used and agriculture came into the picture, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it was found in early stages that longleaf was a really fickle tree to reestablish. It has a very long taproot. It has to be planted very carefully. So the loblolly pine became more in favor, and that's the dominant tree that we see, at least in the uh, pine species across the southeast now. Of course, let's don't forget the Appalachian areas where you had uh, the wonderful American chestnut tree that Mm -hmm. was lost to the blight. Uh, However, the good news there is the American Chestnut Foundation does a wonderful job in trying to uh, reestablish that tree and the the longleaf. I'd say about 20, 25 years ago, there began a effort through the Longleaf Alliance and through other uh, private landowners to say, well, let's see if we can bring the longleaf back. And so a lot, a lot of the nurseries did great work in uh, growing what we now call containerized longleaf. And that is, instead of having a bare root, 
there is soil around that root, and so it makes it easier to establish and easier to grow. And uh, we've engaged in that. I think we have about 350 acres of longleaf that we've been planting over the last 15 years or so. What a resume. Chuck Lavelle, keyboardist for the Rolling Stones, the Allman Brothers Band, so many other musical groups over his decades in music. He knows a lot about forestry, too. So I'm going to post that interview from last year on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page as a podcast. You can find the link right there. And Troy Clymer with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Don't go away. We'll be right back to WSB. Having fun on the show today. You're listening to 95.5 WSB and that weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Now back to Troy Clymer with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Jonathan, up next. I appreciate what the uh, Forestry Commission does. They're growing a lot of longleaf timber these days. Has there any been any discussion in the uh, forestry community been about giving a premium for the quality of the timber that longleaf is compared to loblolly? That quality comes from from how you manage your stands, uh, from from the density in, in which you plant the trees when you first put them in the ground and when the, as they grow, and then uh, introducing prescribed fires into those stands throughout the years, throughout its growth cycle. Um, so so lo- uh, longleaf, um, it it'll it, it tends to grow more poles, and and poles are uh, like your fire poles they're more valuable. So they're a longer rotation, but through that longer rotation, you're expected to get more value out of that timber. And like I said, it's a process. So if you do poor management at the beginning, at the end, you're going to have a poor quality product. So so the landowner, through your purchases, that gives that landowner the ability to do that management, you know, from paying his taxes on his property uh, to, to implementing the prescribed burning, to implementing um, herbicide applications is needed uh, to help him grow that that timber into the product uh, that is most valuable, while also providing a good habitat for wildlife, yeah. stabilizing the soil, keeping our water clean, purifying our air. So it all plays together, and it's more about the management of the stand throughout its its life than just throwing a tree in the ground and expecting it to grow up and create a pole uh, or, or a piece of salt timber. So that's me trying to simplify that sure. for you because that's a, that's a complicated question as well. And you just don't throw a tree in the ground and expect it to grow up. And I've got a pole timber tree. It, it takes a lot more thought and a lot more planning and uh, a lot more management right. to a stand to, to create that. Troy Clymer with the Georgia Forestry Commission. Your time has been invaluable this morning. Thank you. And uh, where can folks find you online or how can they learn more if they want to kind of continue to educate themselves on all of this? Go online to gatrees.org. On there, you can find all kinds of information about uh, Georgia's forest throughout the state. And you can also find contacts for local foresters in your area, local contractors in your area, and local GFC foresters. So we can come out and meet with you and and discuss your, your issues that you may have on your property to help you manage your land 
well and get you in touch with the resources you need to to accomplish those objectives. Wonderful. Well, we're off to a great start for a Saturday morning. Stay tuned. Walter Wonders coming up. He's going to help you be off to the best start possible planting those spring vegetables. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to Green and Growing. What a great day for you to be listening if it's your first time. Welcome, welcome. I took over what was the Lawn and Garden Show from Walter Reeves, who hosted in this very chair for 26 years. Having a blast. And I think spring is probably my most favorite time of year to host this show because there's never a shortage of folks to talk to, things to talk about, topics that we want to get into. So I've got a lot coming up for all of you talking about pollinator gardens, a little more about entomology. I definitely want to do a visit to Oakland Cemetery. And for anybody listening that's associated with Oakland Cemetery, I just haven't called you yet, but I will. I'm going to call and make my way over there. So much going on. A visit to Serenby. A lot of exciting things going on. And also um, an edible food forest. And I'm working on that story and that project for all of you, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. But amazing people around this city doing great things, volunteer opportunities for the rest of us. And I'm always trying to make you aware of those things on the Green and Growing Facebook page. Uh, Just search Green and Growing WSB on Facebook. I try to post volunteer opportunities, things that are going on, gardening classes. I don't necessarily, you wouldn't call them master gardener classes because those I'm, I'm not sure have started back up yet uh, with COVID. Right as they were beginning last February and March is when COVID started. So I had to put that on hold. But just a lot of free resources, free webinars, lecture series, all of that kind of thing that you can do right from the comfort of your very own home and topics that may be of interest to you. You just pick and choose what time of day you want to listen to these webinars, and they're fantastic, just really, really talented, educated people. So, yeah, stay up with me there and on Twitter, at Ashley Frasca WSB. That's more traffic stuff than gardening stuff, but I try to do both. Of course, in the triple team traffic seat with Mark Aram, Mark McKay, uh, Monday through Friday during Atlanta's morning news, 4.30 to 9, and then right as I get out of the traffic center at 9 a.m. most weekdays, I'm working on this show, and I just love it. I appreciate all of you that are part of the show and invite you to call today 404-872-0750 to get into Green and Growing here until 9 o'clock this morning. First, I have someone on the line. You all know him. You love him. Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. All right, back live and living color with me here on Green and Growing is Walter Reeves. Good morning. Hey, hey, good morning. I have so much more appreciation for this spring than I have any other spring past because of everything that's been going on. What I want to talk to you about today, Walter, is preparing yeah. for those warm season crops that people are planning on oh, growing. Yeah. You know, I mean, gardening is exploding just like the interest in it did last sure. year. Folks trying a lot of crops for the first time. And that's actually one of my uh, top three things to do is just getting those rows and those beds ready for those warm season vegetables. So what I want to talk to you about is how to plan out your garden, like how much size you need oh, and in the size yeah. and the space you have, what plants are going to be best for that? 
That's a great idea. I'd be happy to address that. Obviously, we're not talking to the folks who have an acre or two or even just a very large area, you know, where they're maybe cropping rows for corn and larger things. But we want to talk about smaller. You've mentioned before square foot gardening. Now explain that concept to me. Yeah. In the simplest form, it's a method of measuring out your garden beds into square foot areas, if you will. And every vegetable that you might want to grow would be assigned a certain number of square feet in which to grow. A tomato might be two or three square feet, and an eggplant might be two, and a pepper plant might be one, uh, just depending on how the ultimate size of the plant would be and get that size of soil in which to grow. And now we want to keep all these things kind of grouped together, right? If we have, you know, two or three tomato plants, they're going to grow more upright, so keep them together versus, like, a shorter shrub-like thing, like a pepper plant or something, and then something that crawls, like cucumber or zucchini, all of those need to be grouped, mm-hmm. right? And why is that? It's both true and not true. Yes, you want to put the taller things on the part so it doesn't shade the smaller things. So you certainly group the tomatoes in a place that they're not going to shade out your peppers and stuff like that. But on the other hand, I like mixing things up in the garden, if I can, size-wise, simply because you get more insect repellency. In fact, so they see all three, four, five, ten of your tomatoes together and think, oh, wow, this is great. Ten tomatoes, let's eat them all. Whereas if you have tomato, pepper, squash, corn, you know, something else, eggplant, then insects really become confused. They say, oh, look, there's tomato here, but there's a squash. I don't <laughs> like the flower of a squash. So I'm not going to stay here for very long. And so actually sizing them out and mixing up the sizes is a way of insect control. Hmm, like in a good way. We're keeping the bad guys away. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a good way. So that tomato hornworm is going to try to go from one tomato plant and then hit like a pepper plant and go, wait, I don't want this. Exactly, exactly. Oh, okay. All right, now let's start at the very smallest garden, Walter, say a five-gallon bucket. That is so common for folks (laughs) to want to throw something in there. What small plants are going to be best managed in a container that size? A couple of peppers would fit in a, in a five-gallon bucket very nicely. A couple of hot peppers or banana peppers or something like that, if you like them. Uh, one eggplant would be good for a five-gallon bucket. Uh, the thing that's most tempting, I think, for a lot of gardeners is tomatoes. Mm. And only one tomato per five-gallon bucket. And even then, one of the smaller varieties like Celebrity per five-gallon bucket. When I've seen buckets planted with three tomatoes, yeah. and they're just overflowing you can't keep them watered because they're just so full of foliage that you just can't keep them soil wet during the day. That, and I explained to a caller just a couple of weeks ago, Walter, that, um, you know, I mean, tomatoes are already so prone to, uh, prone to fungus and disease that mm-hmm. that air circulation and that airflow in the plant is so very important. And Perfect if they're too point. crowded into one another, they're not yeah. going to get that. You're exactly right. Now, what do we think about uh, fruit trees? You know, some people already have them established on their on their land, so I want to talk to you about that in just a moment. But uh, okay. any fruiting things that we can get away with in a smaller space? Yeah, blueberries. God, blueberries are so good to grow in a small plot. If you're a homeowner, first-time gardener, and you want to fruit, choose blueberries. They are awesome. They don't take up much room. They have good fruit. They're easy to care for. They don't have any bugs and diseases. Blueberries are just the best. Then on the other hand, if you don't have much room, don't grow figs. Figs will crowd you out. You'll be sleeping somewhere else in the neighborhood because the fig will take over your house and your whole property. Figs are big. And if you can't, and you can't prune a fig to keep it small, you can't make a plant that wants to be 15 feet tall to 15 feet wide, you cannot make it be 5 or 
feet, feet high, five feet wide, it just won't do well if you try to do that. You know what so I'm. You know what I'm looking forward to is um, I'm getting a plant from Southern Living, and it's the Little Miss Figgy fig. And oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like a new. I mean, I guess they're calling it, you know, dwarf habits. Um, it's got yeah, dwarf habits, yeah. but it can still get, you know, five to eight inches or eight feet high. So I definitely need to uh, watch for that. But I'm going to start it off in a container on the deck, and then you know, transplant it when the time's right. But I can't wait to try those. Me too. And again, I'm going to be learning about it from you because I forgot that I had seen that dwarf figure. I thought to myself, oh, well, that's the only dwarf figure I know of around with a little bit. Yeah, a little piggy. Please let me know how it works. All right. And then going back to blueberries, as you mentioned, very important. You know, rabbit eye do well here, but then you've got to have two different types for them to pollinate each other, right? Exactly. Two different varieties. And that's easy. Most uh, gardeners will know that. So you'll have. Oh, Climax and Tiff Blue or Delight and well, two or three more that are common rabbit eye blueberry varieties. You don't get two Delight, don't get two Climax, don't get two of anything. Get separate ones because genetically they only breed with blueberries of a different variety cultivar. You know, and I have had mine in containers on the back deck now for four or five years, and they're such a manageable size, but they really mm-hmm. haven't. I've never pruned them. I haven't needed to. But they really haven't gotten much larger, so what I'm thinking, it is time, and I probably should have done this a year or two ago, to transplant them into a larger pot now. And I'm only thinking about going up maybe an inch in the pot size. Uh-huh. How big is the pot now mm-hmm. that you have it in? 18 inches maybe? Yeah. Okay, that'd be about right. A little small, but about right. And so moving it up, yeah, it'll, it'll grow itself to be bigger than it is now and big enough to fit into the... 20-inch pot, let's say. And if you move it out to your garden, to your yard, with full sun and lots of room to spread out in, it'll go to five feet high and two or three feet wide. Awesome. And you know what? Another one, speaking of berries, that I just thought of, strawberries. Yeah, gosh, yes. Strawberries would be perfect for a five-gallon plastic bucket. And you can get those cool um, pots from Pike. I know they have a name, mm-hmm. but they've got the pockets coming out of the sides of the pots where you just... Well, they're, they're called strawberry pots of all things. Oh, hey. Strawberry pots. <laughs> Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no directions needed with that. Um, yeah. yeah, those are easy to pop in the ground. Now, how many would you recommend since they do crawl and vine out a little bit? How many would you recommend in a five-gallon yeah. bucket? For a five-gallon bucket, four. Oh, One, two, wow. Three, four. Because they can cascade over the side. And so the, the erects are not crowding each other too much and around the bucket. So, yeah, I think four would be right. What do you call those, runners? They put off runners? Yeah, runners, daughters. Sweet. And the daughter plants then can be removed when they look big enough to do it. About as big as your palm, I guess. And they can be moved to another five-gallon bucket. And you could have you know, five-gallon buckets at the wazoo full of strawberries in your, on your deck. And I popped one into a hanging basket last year and kept it hanging over the side of the deck. Walter, that thing made it through the winter just fine. Great idea. Perfect Mm -hmm. idea. And that's right. They do tolerate cold weather pretty easily. I've got strawberries in my big raised bed in the back on my uh, patio right now, and they've been perfectly fine for the last month. I've had them in the ground. Ah, That is such good news. All right. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left. I do want to talk to you about uh, fruit trees. You know, obviously, we we need a much larger area for that. but. What should be some of the guidelines, things folks are starting to think about now with their apple, their pear, their peach trees? Pruning, pruning, pruning. This is a great time to prune apples, peaches, pears, and plums. And so uh, the first, whatever you prune is always three steps to pruning 
anything, whether it's roses or apples or whatever. And the first step is always remove dead branches. They don't do anything for you. Take them off. Uh, second step is to remove branches that cross across the middle. That is, again, a non-productive branch, and the ones that cross across the middle of your plant don't do a darn thing for you. And then the third thing, and particularly on apples and roses and things in that family, is outward-facing buds are the best buds to prune just above it. So the new limb that comes from that bud will be outward-facing and give you a lot more space in the middle of the plant so sunshine can penetrate, and you get more fruit that way. Staying on a spray regimen and a spray routine with these is so important throughout the year to prevent unwanted pests and diseases and things like that. But let's caution folks against, you know, the time that they don't want to be spraying. It's when the bugs, when the bees are out pollinating your flowers. So you can spray something, not insecticides, but it's fungicides. Uh, you can spray them during the time the bees are out so they don't hurt the bees. But I have often said that if you have dreams of having peaches, and you're going to grow a peach tree, then buy a sprayer with the peach tree. You should be walking out with one peach tree in one hand and a sprayer in the other hand because peaches are hard to grow without spraying them. Mm. And what is an active ingredient in a fungicide that's best used on peach trees or fruit trees? One of the brand names I see at Pike all the time is Captan, C-A-P-T-A-N, Captan. It's a brand name for fungicide. Again, doesn't hurt the bees, so you spray it when the the plant's flowering. Captan's one. Uh, Dacanil is another one. Read the label, follow the label directly, of course. But Dacanil is another one that can be sprayed to prevent some of the peach diseases that are so common and will get set up on your trees. And once they're set, once they're in there, it's hard to get them out. It's hard to control it if you don't start out controlling the diseases on the peach. Walter, I think we're ready to have a pretty big harvest. I'm getting hungry. Did you get out and plant some things then? you got a big backyard. You can plant apples in an orchard in your backyard. Oh, I wish. I wish. Maybe one day. <laughs> I have to build my way up well, to that. Working. Well, hey, look forward to having you back now that we are in the full throngs of spring. I'm sure we'll have some other good topics to, uh, to discuss here in the next few weeks. You betcha. I'll look forward to it, Ashley. Be right back. It's Green and Growing on WSB. Thank you, Brad. The update on your weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Now this. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. A no-brainer, guys, for these. Number one, remove faded flowers from daffodils, tulips, and hyacinth, but do let the foliage die naturally. Feed spring flowering bulbs immediately after the blooms have faded with 100% organic EB stone bulb food. Number two, clean out the bird baths, keep them half full with water, and put out those hummingbird feeders as well. And my guest, who you'll hear in the next hour of the show, beginning after 7 o'clock, Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia with number three. They need to be looking to make sure that those new plantings have had plenty of water. We're getting into our dry part of the summer, so make sure those new plants are well watered and can handle whatever drought's coming our way. Great advice, Becky. Well, we're less than a month away from the end of the school year, so Becky, stick around with me. We're going to be talking to you in the next hour about pollinators, pollinator gardens, and keeping the kids entertained over the summer. You don't want to miss these tips in the next hour. It's Green and Growing on WSB.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.